0: Welcome to the Reconstructing Healthcare Podcast, a show where we discuss what's wrong with healthcare and talk with innovative companies disrupting the health insurance marketplace. Join us as we explore strategies to help employers lower healthcare costs and build a better health plan. Now, here's your host, Michael Mineri. Okay, hello, this is Michael Mineri, and I want to welcome everyone to the Reconstructing Healthcare Podcast. Today, our guest is Mindy Fink from EHIM. Mindy, welcome to the show.
1: Hi Michael,
0: thank you for having me. You bet. You bet. So here's the game plan. You know, what we seek to do on this show is challenge the status quo and educate our audience on non-traditional methods to either lower their healthcare costs or improve value for their employees. In other words, we we try and debunk some of the nonsense that we're being sold by the healthcare industry uh, and give our audience some meaningful tips on how to actually lower costs. Sound like something you'd like to help with? I would love it. All right. To get us started, I'm going to read a brief bio about you and your company so the audience has some context about who they're listening to, and then we'll get right into it. Okay, Mindy Fink founded EHIM Incorporated in 1987 and has since driven the business to exponential growth as president and CEO of the company. Her leadership and development at EHM's business model have earned Ms. Fink national notoriety and allowed EHIM to advance as one of the 25 largest pharmacy benefit managers in the country, servicing over two and a half million people. A Michigan State graduate, Ms. Fink dedicates a great deal of her time to many national charitable organizations and is passionate about improving and giving back to the greater Detroit community. And I believe you're also passionate about golf too, isn't that correct?
1: A little bit. <laughs> Lovely game. <laughs>
0: Me too. All right. So you've been in the business for a while now. How did you get into the the healthcare pharmacy industry to begin with?
1: Well, the business, I started the business over 30 years ago and my background is nursing. And at that time, and it's still today, amazed. And I realized that my patients didn't understand their health insurance, that they, they didn't understand they could get reimbursed for their office visits way back then. I think some people don't really can, don't understand that today, but some life-altering things happened to me. I took a step back from my nursing career and decided to start a company to educate employees on what their employer had get, provided them in their healthcare. Over the first couple years of where I thought I was going to be a consulting company, uh, we immediately evolved into a third-party administrator, and that, in turn, became a National Pharmacy Benefit Manager. And about thirty years ago, we created EHIM's PBM network.
0: Nursing to PBM. That's cool.
1: to entrepreneurship. Yes.
0: There you go. There you go. We always start our interviews at the macro level and then we'll we'll get into you know more about EHM's product and service. Prescription drug pricing through insurance is is probably one of the most misunderstood components of the healthcare cost equation. You know, one drug pricing is a major profit center for insured carriers, as well as as other PBMs. The PBM industry as a whole generates over $300 billion in revenue annually. And for the most part, you know, cost is not transparent to the employer or consumer. And there's there's huge price variation for uh, prescription drugs, you know, at pharmacies. So, you know, in your opinion, what do you think is wrong with healthcare today, as well as the prescription drug component of healthcare?
1: Well... (laughs) It's such a big, that's such a big question. From the pharmacy side, I can tell you that it's one of the only areas that there really truly are no regulations that when it comes to the pricing. So you've got our medications of which the drug pharma pharma can actually change that price every month every week, every day, every month. It, it, it's not like in the insurance business where you get, if you as an employer or an individual, you have a fixed premium rate and that rate is there for 12 months and then it renews. They can actually raise the price of drugs multiple times throughout the course of the year. And there's no stopping that the other part of it is most of that is driven because there happens to be what we call the rebate game out there all of you are aware of it because now you've got some of the organizations insurance companies or pbms claiming that they're going to give you back the rebates at point of sale the reason why i went into this business is because i saw that the cost of drugs were high to begin with 30 years ago mm-hmm. and i felt through consumer education we could start to educate individuals and realize that most expensive, or the latest and greatest isn't always the best. There are all alternatives out there. We want people to be able to take their medications, stay compliant. The reason why they're on medication is they need it. But through consumer advertisement and through pharma wanting certain medications to be able and to try to be able to move market share, it's actually driven the cost of healthcare up to the point where it's, it's, it, it's unaffordable. So I think we need some controls. In place.
0: Well, I, I agree with that. Uh, especially when you think about the fact that the government really isn't, isn't even allowed to negotiate you know, with the drug manufacturers, there could probably be some better regulations in place. Let's talk about your company. EHIM is a pharmacy benefit manager or administrator, one of many in the marketplace. So tell our audience a little bit about how you're different, You know, what problem your model is attempting to solve.
1: Well, I think our biggest differential is we're unique in the fact that we don't participate with pharmaceutical manufacturer rebates. And which means we maintain our financial and clinical independence. So our only obligation is to our patients and their employers. We're not driven by increasing pharma's market share, which most of our competitors are. So what we try to do is we try to design what's the best program for the people that we serve. And that's through designing the appropriate formulary. And formulary management is where you place the tiers on drugs. And then it's a matter of what copay potentially somebody is going to have to pay as an employee. But there's formulary management, there's consumer education, and there's, of course, uniqueness of of the non-rebates. So what we're doing is trying to treat the individuals that we're serving. We're also unique that we have always been 24-7, 365 days a year in customer service centers. They are our employees. They're trained here. We're unique in the fact that the pharmacy network EHIM's network is our proprietary network. I've signed every single contract for over 30 years. So I don't lease or rent a network, which allows us to create custom networks for our clients. Maybe our mm-hmm. clients want us to create an opportunity for the local pharmacies or the, the, our smaller third-party pharmacies to be used appropriately, especially based on the rural area. They want to drive market share to the you know Smith's Pharmacy versus the large chains. We can do that because we own our pharmacy network. And the technology that we have is EA Times Technology. So I have a whole team of people and throughout the course of 30 years that we've been in business, we've built a technology platform that allows us to do the customization that we need to do and allows us to create the reporting and provide the data Mm -hmm. and the information to the clients that we serve and the brokers that have chosen to use us. You talked
0: about a number of things there and I want to dive into all of them really. First, let's start with the fact that you guys do not take rebates from drug manufacturers. You alluded to the fact that that gives you independence you know, to act in the best interest of your clients. But let's be clear, the message that other PBMs that are taking rebates, they're saying the same thing. They're saying, of course, we're acting in our client's best interest. So can you talk a little bit more about how the act of taking rebates can maybe be a misaligned incentive and how it would result in something not being in the client's best interest?
1: Well, it can truly be a conflict of interest.
0: Let's explore that. Tell us more about how it can be a conflict of
1: of interest. So if I'm getting that money, making sure that an antibiotic is on my tier one, because that might not be a great antibiotic it's a very expensive antibiotic, and potentially Keflex is going to be able to be the same type of medication at a much lower cost. And the individual should be able to get Keflex as well as this more expensive drug. What Pharma, from a rebate standpoint, is they're looking for me to try to move market share. And instead of having Keflex, which might be a a more inexpensive medication and potentially even a generic or a low-cost brand, Pharma is asking us to try to get this other medication out on the marketplace so that they can see how it's working. I'm doing what's in the best interest for my client from a cost-effective standpoint. Keflex can answer the problem and do the job. I want them to take Keflex. But if I was making money, $80 per script or something along those lines for making sure that, that the first line of treatment should be the more expensive line, that would be tough. I'd have to make that decision. What should I do? not having the rebate and having that even in our in our makeup says we're building and doing what we believe is in the best interest for the client and we're working with our physicians to do so it's not just generic driven we we are, we're going to have the right medications on the tiers but it's not going to be because we're moving market share
0: you know you'll guide the you know where the drug gets placed on the tiers based on cost not driven by you know which one you're going to get the highest rebate from
1: Cross clinical criteria. It's not just from a numbers standpoint. We're, we're mm-hmm. not gonna just inexpensive drugs out there. We want to make sure from a clinical standpoint, they're the appropriate medications. But we're not throwing and creating the formulary based on because if we move this particular drug, we're going to get thousands of dollars or because we've been able to move a tenth of a point over by moving market share. That's not why we're doing it.
0: Yeah. And that's interesting. So in an insured environment, right, you know, the carriers, the P- you know, the PBMs, they're keeping all of the rebates, right? And in a self-insured environment, many of the PBMs will share, depending on how the the contract is set up, you know, either 100% of the rebates or, you know, portion of the rebates back with the employer. And so I think what's happened is when the marketplace, it could be, you know, brokers and consultants or employers are looking at PBMs, they're also looking at you know, this dollar amount of rebates that now they're going to get back from the drug manufacturers. And so is that, in your opinion, skewing what's in the best interest of the employer, which is going to be, you know, low net cost and, you know, quality, you know, medications for their patients? You know depending on their clinical condition
1: I mean I get it it's hard to walk away if somebody says look I'm gonna you're, you're, you're gonna get forty get thousand dollars in rebates or you're gonna get all this money back in rebates come use our PBM because we do what's in the best interest for your client but we also are rebate driven and we can we can be able we're able to be able to once we look at your makeup we'll cut you back a check rebates are given on costly drugs they don't give out rebates for inexpensive low cost brand or generic medications so in order to get a rebate you got to make sure that these expensive drugs go through are on your claim run the rebates don't don't you don't get enough money back to reduce your overall aggregate spend so what you have to be careful of is if Sometimes it's too good to be true. It's, it's. There's an issue there. You have to be careful that you're not going to, especially in self-funded, you're going to drive your overall aggregate cost up in order to get a piece of it back. It's, you know, it's like going to to that that twenty uh, percent mark off store. Is there, are you getting twenty percent off the hundred percent? You know, the markup of hundred percent or a hundred and twenty percent, and then it's that you know. It's, so it's it's that kind of you have to be careful of that because. That's where the numbers are coming from. They're coming from driving up your overall aggregate spend in order for you to get some back.
0: The challenge with a lot of the PBM comparisons that are traditionally done is it's spreadsheet driven, and you're looking at discounts off of AWP plus these rebate guarantees. But probably most employers aren't realizing that you know the rebates are off of a higher spend or a higher you know unit cost drugs, which can in essence increase their costs. So
1: the other thing that I look at from a pharmacy benefit manager. Healthcare—it's not managing just those dollars. We're supposed to be involved in helping helping manage the care of your employees. So if it's all driven about these about pennies and dollars and rebate numbers, and it's not kind of creating the programs, it's not having managed care involved, it's not engaging with with pharma, PharmDs and being more of a concierge to the employees that are need the medications or on treatment to help that's what we're supposed to be doing. We, our industry has become so dirty in many ways because of the rebate game, because you now we have individuals or, or companies who said they never got rebates are now giving rebates away. So you you got you know, you to be in a position where, where we do what's best for, our, for the people that we're taking care of, and we work with the TPAs and the insurance companies to help drive the overall cost of health care down and keep the employees healthy. And that to me is what EHIM does. We're working as a vendor partner, and our partners are not pharma. Well,
0: I, I agree with that. I mean, the incentives need to be aligned to help the payer, and, and certainly not, uh, not pharma. They don't need any additional help making money, they make plenty of it. Let's talk a little bit about formularies. When I think about formularies and, and pricing differentials among drugs within a therapeutic class, I can't help but think of just waste. You know, if there's 10 different drugs in a class and you know, there's a huge price variance among all of them. If they're therapeutically equivalent and they do the same thing and you have employees purchasing the higher cost drugs, I don't think any employer who looks at their fixed cost would purchase things in that same manner. So, talk to me a little bit about how you think about designing formularies to really be efficient from a payer standpoint.
1: Well, we've actually designed some essential benefits lists because of healthcare reform. You know, you take a look at what Each state is requiring, and we kind of put in that formula that medications are both cost-effective to the employee and also to the point where that's what's applied to their maximum out-of-pocket. And an employer... And this is at the lowest level, but the employer, the responsibility of those medications being payable at 100 percent after an individual has met their maximum out of pocket, you've got that group of medications. On a traditional basis, a larger basis, we're not worried about that as much. You're you're designing the formulary again based on you know clinical efficacy. You're looking at your cost, and we're looking at what's on patent, what's coming off of patent, that window when it is removed from patent, that the generics are as equally as expensive as the brand. And we're constantly managing the formulary. When we have the opportunity to look at a new client coming on board and we can see what kind of claims they have, we're able to look at their claims, see what their medical conditions are. And really what the goal is, is to design a plan that's customized for each employer's employees. We've got somebody that's highly populated, diabetics, we don't want them to end up in the hospital. We need to make sure that medication is affordable. We're looking at it to try for the bigger picture of the individual that we're serving. So that's how okay. we do formulas.
0: What I thought I heard you say was just that you really do a custom formulary for each client. And so you don't have just one or two or three you know, different formularies. You know, maybe, you know, one a little bit looser, a little bit tighter, which is what we see with other PBMs. You're saying that you actually do a custom formulary for each client.
1: We do. we do.
0: Interesting. So talk to me a little bit about that. What goes into that process of, of designing a custom formulary?
1: Well, first of all, we, we need to know the client, right? And be able to just get an yeah. idea of what their claim information is. And sometimes that's just not available. Maybe a client's coming from a fully insured world and no data on that. And then what we'll try to do at that point in time is bring the client in and try to create a three to five year business plan with them. So Mm -hmm. by first trying to mirror as best we can what they currently have. And then as the claims are coming in and in the first year, we're able to we then will take a look and be able to slice and dice that data and go back to the broker with their employer. And we're involved at the table if if the broker will allow us and kind of go through. These are the changes we would would like to make. The, the true data or the population and the claim utilization of your employees. We also will put in a disruption. We'll look at the disruption that if we're going to suggest something and it's going to cause a huge disruption and a morale issue to the to the, their employees, that's the last thing we want to do. But mm-hmm. so we'll educate the consumer, meaning the employer, on the alternatives that they have. And we kind of slowly but surely, the employees trust us. They're, we're here 24-7, they call us, and we're working with them on, on alternative medications if we need to do that. But that's how we build it. We crawl, walk, it's a crawl, walk, run. Okay. We I'll, I'll, don't want to run right away because we don't want to hurt the client unless that client gives us that permission and we have enough data to do so, but we crawl, walk, run it.
0: That, I just like the, the education process to be able to, to highlight you know to an employer where some of the waste is and what the opportunities are. I want to get into one thing you said that makes you guys different is really your your clinical programs and approach. And if you think about a physician, right? A physician, you know, who's trying to treat his or her patient, you know, prescribing a medication that they think might help them with, you know, whatever condition or malady they have. Physicians aren't trained on cost. Most of them aren't aware of what drugs cost and, you know, whether or not they're prescribing the cheapest one or the most expensive one. So, how are you Engaging with physicians when you see that there's an opportunity for a patient to be on, you know, an alternative therapy.
1: Normally, that comes down, and we'll get into the specialty drugs because you know a lot of the companies will turn around and say, you know, we do prior authorizations, mm-hmm. and that stops when a drug is at the pharmacy. You need PA, you need certain mm-hmm. clinical criteria to review that. We kind of go the, to the next step. And there, that's a certain level of medications where you need to have those, those PAs. You also have through, our, through some of the portals, the physician portal we'll build, we're building right now, that will allow a physician to take a look at the ID card that our card holders have and be able yeah. to go in if they wanted to, to see where that drug falls in that tier. So right at the time of writing, they'll know what kind of alternative medications they are. We're not here to tell the physician what they should and shouldn't write for. They're the physicians. I totally respect that. But to your point, they really don't know from a fund standpoint. And they're they get influenced by their patients looking and seeing on television the commercials and the consumer yes. driven. They get influenced by pharma who's where you used to get the free samples, now you're getting coupons that they're dropping coupons off and And that's all driven by organizations like the PBMs of the world that are selling back or aggregators that are selling back the data. And through that, when they sell back the data, they're able to target that particular physician to try to help move market share. So, you know, it's a catch-22. The physicians are being fed one side and they know they need to keep the cost down for their patients. So we're trying to provide an easy means for providers to be able to reach out and work with us.
0: Let's talk about specialty. They're obviously a major cost driver, you know, within, within pharmacy trend. You know, I've read a lot about uh, some of the new gene therapy and immune therapy drugs are good examples of what appears to be coming down the, the specialty drug pipeline. I believe Yescarta was priced at $373,000. has a price of about 475000 and that data may be a little bit old. You know, what are you doing to help employers, you know, manage specialty drug Costs because these these costs I mean they're starting to look like host, you know large hospital claims you know when you look at their their actual annual spend
1: well we've been really fortunate in the way we manage specialty drug trends actually our trend for this for 2017 is at 6.4 percent against the uh, national average of 18.7 percent actually last year it was even better but the reason a good reason why we're able to do this is again without Partnering with pharma, mm-hmm. it allows us to work with pharma in an opposite direction and try to one. We're building the formulary based on cost-effective, even specialty drugs. Because mm-hmm. as you just mentioned, there's one for four hundred thousand, another one that w- before it went on market that might have been four thousand. Suddenly, that four thousand dollar drug feels pretty good. <laughs> That's
0: right. That's <laughs> right. 000.
1: but you know, it was there before they released the the more expensive drug. So we're busy, again, building the formula as it it relates to cost-effective and true clinically proven specialty drugs. We're also independent that we don't own a specialty or I don't own ownership or part of a specialty provider or facility, um, which allows us to, again, create a formula that's in the best interest of the client and not because I'm stacking that medication or I have the exclusive to dispense that medication.
0: Let me stop you there just, just because that may be something that, that not everyone is aware of that some PBMs own their own specialty pharmacy, Mm -hmm. right? And so they're making margin on any drug that gets pushed through their specialty, you know, pharmacy. So they may have a misaligned incentive, right? Okay. So you do not own a specialty pharmacy so that there's no, uh, conflict of interest to say yep. for you.
1: And I believe that helps us keeping our, the trend down. We, we mm-hmm. also work with, with the different programs that are out there to get the medications into our clients' hands, um, either at a reduced or, or a zero cost by working with some of the pharmaceutical companies to get some of these expensive drugs out there if clinically it is necessary. So we've been able to, and we talked about, you know, I've talked about with others people, it's like that secret sauce. But because we have PharmD and we're working, PharmD's here and physicians here, we're working clinically to work with pharma to try to get these specialty drugs down, but not to deny the patient in getting them.
0: Got it. And so, you know, to, to summarize that, because you you did say that your 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 specialty trend is six, 6% relative to the marketplace which is around 18% and and certainly we do see that in the claim spend. And so you're essentially saying, you know, because you're independent because you don't accept rebates, you're able to either negotiate better deals or take advantage of some of the the drug manufacturer Incentives or coupons that allow employees to to get the the drugs at a lower cost.
1: That's a good part of it, and that's also. I mean, we're working the system for the consumer, right? At, and versus the other way around, we actually have um, have one of uh, a client of Alliance that started with us in in January, and it's interesting because somebody brought this to my desk. But in the last five months, there were sixty five clinical inter- interventions for so. Understand we're looking at our clients almost every day and we've saved over $80,000 or 16% of the total spend through specialty since in five months for an actual client. You know, it's very interesting and challenging, but it's possible to keep these costs down uh, by and not have to take the rebate to do so. That is a
0: different paradigm than probably what most of our listeners are, are familiar with. I mean, because I guess the current model today is negotiate discounts off of AWP and, you know, whatever gets prescribed flows through, assuming right. it, it passes, you know, PAs. And what you're talking about is ongoing, I think the words you used were clinical interventions and negotiations throughout the year, you know, on a case-by-case basis with, with those specialty medications and vendors.
1: It is, and our team is actually working with the individuals who are taking the medications to make sure they're taking it. You know, we're also not going to have and have an employer pay for a medication um, and Hep C drug that might have been a hundred thousand dollars. And let's say we're able to get that medication, and the individual is supposed to be taking the drugs, and it's not costing anybody anything. We're we're, we're actually making sure the individual is still taking the drug. Yeah. Or sometimes you get charged hundred thousand dollars, and you never know if your employee took the medication or not. Because it's like in three months, you have to take it once every three months. In our circumstance, they wouldn't be even taking the medication. We're able to divert that cost. But if we weren't, we would still, and even if we did, we still will work with the individual employee and make sure they are taking the medication. And if they're not, find out why.
0: Got it. So- just from a consumer standpoint, trying to understand what that feels like. So your clinical team is reaching out to the patient, just checking in, saying, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, you're know, you still taking the medication, everything working well, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Exactly.
0: How do patients feel about that? Do they you know, see that as a positive from a, a consumer experience standpoint? I mean, what sort of feedback do you get from these employees and patients?
1: Nothing but positive. I mean, they, you know, the only time I've ever heard a negative might have been my team might have jumped the gun trying to work with somebody before. The client really knew that had announced that we were we were coming on board. And then afterwards, we still saved them over $200,000. And they, you know, we've, they've been a client of ours for a dozen years. This particular company, I guess I had a quote that, what was it? Um, the group has referred to our pharmacy department, quote unquote, as the next best thing since micro. So, you know, we're here 24-7. If an employee needs something, they're, they're calling us and we're, we're, you're not hitting two, you're not hitting automatic, you're getting a human person, coast to coast, we are always available for you guys. How bad can that be? I, mean, I can't imagine anybody complaining.
0: No, no, not at all. Not at all. Let's talk about just from an employer standpoint, I mean, there's lots of, of PBMs in the marketplace and, and we've touched on some of the things that I think make you guys unique. But employers are always going to be focused on cost and so when you're looking at a prospective employer, what are the typical savings that you know you think you're able to generate or manage their trend from you know whatever it is down to a certain level can you give our audience just just based on your experience and book of business you know working with your with clients and prospects
1: Well we've actually been able to reduce our, our spend if I'm not mistaken our average is less 2.5 percent has been our drug spend, our drug trend in 2017. So we actually can save probably 20 to 30% against on the specialty spend and then even more so through formulary management. And we will provide you with the data to prove it. If the dollars are up and elevated against the previous year, we're going to be able to show you why. Whether it's been a change of the makeup of population, Whether there's a couple conditions that are, you know, conditions that have not been able, we've not been able to manage due to the cost of expensive drugs. But we will be able, knowledge is power, and I totally believe in keeping our our clients abreast to as much information as they they want. In taking a look at one of the more popular diabetic therapies, Glumetza, and when you're asking me how do we keep the trend down, as I shared with you, we do it through formulary management. One of the ways is we look at an example is glumexa. Glumexa is a drug of which rebates are are offered or out there. The monthly cost for that particular drug is $1,600. Metformin ER is $25. On our formulary, we'd be looking at metformin ER to be more of the preferred drug not glumetza. Usually the people who, and you know, I'm, I can't say I'm a doctor, So, I, but you tend to, physicians tend to write for the latest and greatest drugs and they take them off of the drug that they were on, which was metformin. Metformin used to be a drug that, there, that was a rebate drug. It was a very popular medication. It's still a very popular medication, sure. but it isn't necessarily the medication that that manufacturer is push, pushing today.
0: If you were to present this scenario to any CFO I can pretty much guarantee you that they would say, okay, that makes sense. What doesn't make sense is when you have a $25 drug and you have an equivalent that does the same thing. And correct me if I'm wrong, but there's no evidence that it does anything better than metformin, correct?
1: Correct.
0: Right. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you to the FDA, right?
1: They'll change a little something. There'll be a little something that changes and that'll allow them to release this type of medication. Look, there was a a drug, Prozac, I think, went out where, where as soon as it went off patent, they—I don't know if they changed the dilat or something like that—and allowed gave them another yeah. years, if I'm not mistaken. Pharma is very powerful, and they do wonderful things for all of us because look at some a lot of the medications that we take—they're important for us to live and survive. Right. It has gotten to a point where you really have to understand that and realize that you've got medications out there that will treat the condition you have, and it doesn't have to break the bank. It doesn't have to make an employer go back and not take, have control over their their cost for their healthcare for their.
0: employees. and I and I appreciate that that yes, pharma is producing drugs that can can treat things you know that we weren't able to before and and you know improve people's quality of lives. I do appreciate that. On the other hand, I feel like we're getting taken advantage of. I mean, that sixteen hundred dollar drug is rebateable, and let's say the rebate is six hundred dollars. It's still a thousand dollars versus the same the drug that costs twenty five dollars that does the same thing. So if there's, if there's one thing that I would hope our audience can take away from this is there is a misaligned incentive out there. And a lot of the formularies from the big three have this problem inherent in the formulary. And so it's something that probably doesn't get looked at to the degree that we're talking about or the, the detail on a drug by drug basis, but it's certainly something that creates waste.
1: We also, years and years ago, started covering the over-the-counter products. And that's another area that will help keep your overall drug trend down. It's selected over-the-counter products that you can put on, and on your formulary for employees and even do it at zero copay for those medications. Nexium, which was the purple pill, is a great example. Yep. Claire attendee. the commercial that everybody wanted to run through the field without sneezing was a great <laughs> commercial. Um, but as soon as it went off patent had stopped taking Claritin D. Now suddenly it was over-the-counter. When that happened, we made that drug an over-the-counter product for zero copay. That was a significant shift because we were able to see in our system how everybody went to a different allergy medication. They all wanted it for their, because they're out of pocket at that time, might've been a $5 copay or a $10 copay.
0: There's this whole notion of moving market share. Well, what if I'm an employer and I wanna move market share? I wanna move market share to the lower cost Drugs within that therapeutic class. I want to move all the market share away from glumexa to metformin. Do you have the ability through plan design to essentially create, you know, $0 tier, you know,
1: 100% for the
0: metformins of the world, right? Hey, we're not going to charge employees anything, because now we're aligning incentives they're helping us save money. So let's not charge them anything.
1: In my own office, my my tiers, my over the counter and my all my generics are at zero Cope So I have we have the ability as our a PBM, I have the ability because we're customized and can manage the formulary to design whatever we want. And so we can provide that tool to our clients, mm-hmm. to the brokers who want to introduce us into sitting down with the client. And as I said, that crawl rock run, we can we can Move them into that arena. There's no reason why you shouldn't have over-the-counter products covered at a zero copay, none at all. You should always be able to do that.
0: And the generics are, are a good example. But you know, I think as we're talking, I like this idea of moving market share on the reverse, right, towards lower net cost. And even within a you know a therapeutic class of a number of brand-name drugs, you know, being able to do the same you know the same thing, right. Incentive copays or waived copays, moving from you know higher to lower cost. Do you guys have the ability to do those things?
1: We do it every day.
0: Okay, all right, Mindy. We haven't talked about fees, so how do you get paid? We've interviewed a number of PBMs on on this podcast, and you know we've kind of explained the model. Right there's the black box traditional model where a margin gets added to every single drug that gets purchased and pushed through the plan, and then there's pass through model, which is You know, there's a, you know, PEPM fee structure. So how do you guys charge for your services?
1: Similar. I mean, we charge a per transaction fee or we charge a per belly button fee or a per employee fee. It's a fixed fee, but the fees are are disclosed for every one of our, to every one of our clients.
0: Great. And does the employer have the option if they want a PEPM versus a, a, you know, a transaction fee?
1: Yes. And we'll show them how that, what the option is and how that would work.
0: Do you guys ever provide any, Performance guarantees around lowering net drug cost on a per employee per month basis and and the reason i 'm asking that is because we see oftentimes we get discount guarantees and rebate guarantees which look nice and pretty on a spreadsheet, but they don 't actually deal with what an employer pays from one year to the next, and a lot of that 's driven by drug mix right so do you guys ever do any sort of uh, performance guarantees around actual you know net or aggregate drug costs.
1: Yes, we do. Uh, again, we have to take in consideration usually what we're looking and we're quoting is flying data because you get right drug mixes and until it's almost better to give that guarantee your second year because mm-hmm. now you've got we've got the data so now we can turn around and say here's where we see your spend going year 2 and 3 because we're actually able to manage it versus we're not sure what we're getting in because the information we're getting in may not be clean. So you have to be really careful, which is why they always say there's a range and there's disclaimers and things like that. We're happy. I'm happy to put those guarantees in, but it's not based on rebate. It's based on cost effectiveness and savings.
0: Actual cost savings from, you know, an employer's spend from one year to the next.
1: Like okay, what's perfect. not with this one client that I just shared with you. Yep. I mean, I would have, I would have loved to put that in there. I would have also loved the incentive to six. You know, yeah. for it.
0: It's great. Yeah. What are you most excited about right now in your business? Are there any you know improvements or you know new programs uh, that you're rolling out in the future that uh, you'd like to tell the audience about?
1: Sure. Uh, well, I'm excited in the fact that we keep growing. You know, and it it, it is customer driven, and it it's mm-hmm. the wonderful world is in the world of today and technology. If I want it, I want it. I want it. I love the fact that we're a company that you can pick up the phone and on the other end, you've got somebody who's talking to you with who has compassion that's looking to to try to help you out and to guide you down the right path. And as I would rather hire 10 more employees than one more computer system, to me, it's all customer service driven. I love that tat part and I love the fact that we've been able, you know, from a coast to coast standpoint, be able to provide those services no matter what. From a technology standpoint, we're always growing. Uh, we're in the midst of, the, we've been building a, more of a state-of-the-art technology that will be consumer and web-driven so mm-hmm. that at your fingertips, you'll be able to go and look in your, your, your phones or go on your computers and be able to access whatever you need. And your provider will be able to do so. However, I still, no matter what, talking to a human being on the other end of the phone is going to be as equally as important. Because no matter, even when the world, our, a lot of our clients wanted our member portal, they, they preferred to call somebody versus going to the member portal. It was very interesting, you know, years ago when we had to build this member portal. It was so important, so important, but nobody really used it. So I love the fact our technology platform, we're creating this state-of-the-art adjudication system that will be used for many other areas, not just the, the PBM industry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's great. It's uh it's, it's an exciting company.
0: All right. Awesome. Awesome. So how can people interested in EHIM get in touch with you?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting because I have an entire a wonderful sales staff, but I'm going to, I'm going to give you my, my email, and um, because I'm the person who's on this, on this uh, podcast, and I'd like everybody and anybody to, to realize that they can send me an email or give us a call, and I'm happy to answer any phone calls and go from there. So my email is Mindy, M-I-N-D-I, at dot com, and our phone number here is 248-948-9900. And I welcome any calls that anybody wants to uh, to uh, pick up the phone and talk to me. It'd be my pleasure.
0: Awesome, awesome. And we'll definitely post the website information, you know, in the show notes after this episode as well.
1: Thanks. Okay.
0: On behalf of our listeners and myself, Mindy, I want to thank you for taking time out of your your busy schedule to join us. I think it's been a great discussion and and hopefully insightful uh, for our listeners.
1: Thank you, Michael. Take care of
0: yourself. Absolutely. To our listeners, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. And with that, we'll sign off wherever you're at. We hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. If you like what you heard here, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you're interested in continuing the conversation, please visit us at www.reconstructinghealthcare.com where you can access the show notes for this episode and links to EHIM's website and contact information. Lastly, we welcome your feedback on the content and interviews we're bringing to you on the show. Please leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher and let us know what you think. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Reconstructing Healthcare Podcast.